Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. Well, I want to... um encourage you now to find a Bible. If I were a school teacher, I'd be flipping the light off and on, off and on, uh, to just let you know that we're going to be coming back together now. And if you have your own Bible, I want you to turn with me to Exodus, the book of Exodus, and especially and particularly chapter 14 of the book of Exodus. We'll be starting at verse 10 this morning. Uh, We are beginning a new series this morning called Resolute, Tenacious Faith in tumultuous times. These are tumultuous times. I don't have to convince you. And it's tempting to think that as Christians, this is something strange or out of the ordinary. But when we look down history, we will notice something. That hardship is actually the norm, not the exception. And so if hardship is the norm throughout history then we have much to learn from people and communities who came before us, don't we? Especially the people of God. And that's what we're going to be doing for the next 12 weeks. We'll be exploring the people of God, both communities and individuals in the scriptures for the next 12 weeks. This morning, we're going to start uh, with the Exodus people of God. They were miraculously redeemed and rescued from Egypt, but they were rescued and redeemed into a desert, which means the church today has in their DNA the desert. We have the desert in our DNA. We are a desert church. And so what does that mean? Well, I'm going to start reading in verse 10 of chapter 14, and then we can pray to ask God's help. This is God's word. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness or the desert? What have you done? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Lord, would the words of my mouth and would the meditation of all of our hearts this morning be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And Holy Spirit, come empower us with your very presence. This is a supernatural moment and we surrender to you. And it's in Jesus name we ask this. Amen. Well, 17 years ago, I was called into pastoral ministry and it wasn't from a whisper from God, but a shout, because I was a very unlikely candidate 
for pastoral ministry. I was a Catholic kid who wanted to be a literature professor. And every time I let myself explore the idea of full-time ministry, I quickly threw cold water on it. Now, why did I do that? It was because the call to ministry for me was entirely unknown. It was scary, and I liked my safe and comfortable plans better than the unknown. And then one Sunday, I went to church with my girlfriend and her family, which is a kind of a risky thing to do, isn't it? Uh, her name was Josie, and you probably uh, have met her before. Um, and the pastor told us to open our Bibles to Exodus 14, the passage that we have here before us this morning. And the preacher pointed out how God's people were being rescued, but because their freedom was unknown, they resisted their rescue. They preferred the bondage that they knew to the freedom that they didn't know. And right then and right there with those words, I'm not kidding, God struck me with a call to ministry. I couldn't stop weeping. And to this day, the Bible that I used at that time is warped with with tears uh, on this page. And I have a tear-stained worship bulletin from that worship service. What happened in that moment? Well, I realized that God had indeed been calling me to ministry. But I preferred the false safety of disobedience to the danger of obedience. Let me say that again. I preferred the safety, the false safety, because it's always false, of disobedience to the safety or to the danger of obedience. It's what I knew. It's what I thought I could control. And so I thought it was safer, but it was a false safety. But that morning, God called me into the desert. And I think we all thought following God would make life easier, didn't we? But it turns out it often makes it harder. We all thought following God would answer every question. But it turns out following God often makes us more confused. We all thought following God would be like sitting in our favorite, comfortable, cozy chair. But what if following God is more like being thrust into a desert? I mean, if I could ask you one of two chosen paths, which would you pick? Number one, a predictable, safe, and comfortable path without God's presence. Or number two, a perilous, dangerous, unknown path with God's presence. Now, let's be honest. Most of us, including myself, would have a lot of, we would have to think about that for a while. We we would have a, a lot of trouble picking the hard path with God. Israel was the same exact way. They wanted to give up on God's freedom project. They preferred what they knew, even if it was terrible. In verse 11, they say to Moses and to God, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? And later on, even after the miraculous parting of the Red Sea, and after Pharaoh and his army is decisively defeated, even after they witnessed all of this, they encountered difficulty with a lack of food. In chapter 16, verse 2, they cry out in in verse 2, In verse 3, actually, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. And then they encountered lack of water in chapter 17, verse 3. We see that. Why did you bring us up out out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? But Moses told them, 
then, and he's telling us, I think, through his through the word of God today, keep walking, keep going. God knows the way of the desert is not easy. And he knows it's not safe. But listen, it is exactly where God's salvation and freedom lies. Moses is telling us today, and God through him, that the way of the desert is not bad because it's hard. And he asks us this morning, what if the desert is a good thing? What if the desert is actually a place of profound and lasting freedom? What if the desert makes our faith resolute? And what if the desert is where we faithfulness of God in more resolute ways? I believe that our church and the church in 2020 is being called to be a desert church. And this is not a bad thing. It might be a scary thing. It might be an unknown thing. But it is a very good thing. Because life in the desert will be God's appointed means to make our faith more resolute. Because the desert is two things, isn't it? The desert is difficult, but the desert is defended. And I want to look at both of that. First, the desert is difficult, and it makes our faith resolute because of its difficulty. I see it in many ways in this passage. The desert path is difficult because, first of all, it's disorienting. We learn from the Exodus that the path that God has us on is often not the path that we ourselves would choose, is it? Look again at verse 8 in chapter 13, where it says, If you look at chapter 13 and, and you look at verse 17, it says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. That's where they thought they were going. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. And, and verse 18 is key. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness. And that, that phrase could be translated literally, the path of the desert. The path of the desert. God led them into the path of the desert toward the Red Sea. Toward the Red Sea, which is a wall of opposition for the Israelites. See, the desert path is difficult because it's disorienting. God does not take on the obvious path, the path that makes the most sense for us, the path that makes the most sense for you. And this was pressed home, I think, when they were cornered by the Red Sea on one side and Pharaoh's army on the other side. And they, I think, understandably cry out, what on earth are you doing, God? Have you lost your mind? This is not the path of freedom. But it's where God's salvation is, isn't it? And, and I think of all the disciples in the Gospels who've left Jesus, but Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. His paths are not the paths we would choose. But where else can we go? For he alone has the words of eternal life. He alone saves. So the desert path is disorienting. It's also very dangerous. It really is. Uh, Pharaoh doesn't give up the hunt, does he? Even though he's 
technically defeated, and he knows it. And this is no doubt why so much of the New Testament uh, is about putting on the spiritual armor of God, even though we stand in the victory of Jesus. Why are we putting on the armor of God, even though the spiritual armor of God, even though we, we, we are vict- victors in Christ? Well, I think it's because, as we know from, from the New Testament, the enemy is indeed defeated, and it happened on the cross. The dragon has been killed, as it's been said, but his tail still swooshes. And until the return, the final return of Jesus, it will swoop. And we have an enemy who seeks to devour. Even if he has a leash on. And even here, Pharaoh is a dead man walking and he knows it. But he is still on the move, attacking God's people. And so walking on God's path is not safe. You have an enemy. And the desert path is difficult because it's discouraging. Verse 13, Moses has to tell his people, fear not. I want you to see this. I want you to look at this and maybe even underline this in your Bibles. He says, fear not. In verse 13 of chapter 14, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. He says, fear not. And then in verse 15, the Lord says to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, to go forward, to move on, to keep walking. Fear not, keep walking. Those commands from God do not make sense if we're walking on an easy path, do they? Fear not, keep walking. If these two commands don't hit home to you right now, it could well be because you're not on God's path. Because to be on God's path is to often feel discouraged. And you need to hear from God on a regular, hourly basis. Fear not. Because the things you're doing for Him are scary. And you need to hear from God on a regular, hourly basis. Keep walking. Because you feel like giving up. The desert path is discouraging. It's difficult. It's not what we would choose, left to ourselves. There's an airplane, I'm gonna let it go. The Lord was trying to censor something I was about to say. About a year ago, I had an opportunity to, uh, to go whitewater rafting in the Upper Gauley River in West Virginia. And each year, they release the dam up high, and they create, therefore, one of the most dangerous rivers in America. And so, of course, people had this amazing idea uh, to raft down it, especially right when they release the dams. Well, one of the first things I was told when preparing to go down this river was to listen to the river guide on your raft. They know the unique dangers of the river. They never told us the river was safe, ever. They did say, listen to the river guide. And so when they say paddle this way, you better paddle that way. And when they say paddle this way, you better paddle that way. And when they say stop, you better stop. Well, there was this one class five, which is like really high, rapid, that I'll never forget. And it was a giant boulder in the middle of this kind of fomenting river. And the river guide actually had us paddle toward the boulder, like like face forward into the boulder. Um, and yet, as we did that, and as we obeyed the, our, our leader, our river guide, uh, 
We thought she was crazy, but what happened was we gently brushed the boulder as we sort of wrapped around into safety. See, the guide knew this. We had no idea. And if I, frankly, here's the truth. If it was up to me, I and if I was the river guide in that moment, I would have paddled away from the boulder, and I probably wouldn't be here right now talking to you. Um, in fact, I probably wouldn't have been on the river to begin with if it was up to me. Sometimes it feels like God is leading us straight into a deadly boulder. And with Israel, we cry out, God, why are you doing this? What on earth is going on. But the Exodus people of God teach us that God's path, even if it is more dangerous, is the best place to be. It's the path of freedom and it's where God is. And second, our faith is made resolute when we trust God, even when it doesn't look like he knows what he's doing. This is a pathway for a, for a firmer faith in his faithfulness. What if our faith is more, made more resolute during this season that we are in right now? What if our faith is being made more resolute today than last year this day? What if the path that God is calling his church to walk down this year is as difficult as it seems and we don't need to sugarcoat it? And what if that's a good thing for his church, for his people? After all, Jesus said, if you're going to be on my path, you're going to be carrying your own cross. It's not an option. The path of God, the desert path, is a difficult path. But there's another reason why the desert path will make our faith resolute, and it's because it is well defended. It is the most defended path. It really is, even if it doesn't seem like it, the safest place to be. The desert path is defended. Um, We're never left to ourselves on the desert path. And we see this in a number of ways. The desert path is defended by God's provision. Provision. In our passage, we see that God all along, all along, was going to provide, provide and give provision exactly at the dead end point that was going to kill his people, the Red Sea. And this happens time and time and time and time again where God provides exactly at the moment of the deepest discouragement. And so he provides the tree that will clean the bad water in chapter 15. He provides the migrating quails to provide food for them when they're out of food. He provides the water spring later on in chapter 17 when they're out of water. Yes, the... Yes, the the desert path, and if we're going to be a desert church, it is a dangerous place to be, but it is the surest place of God's provision. Do you hear me? It's the surest place for His provision. So why cut yourself off by going your own way? The desert path is defended by God's protection. Miriam leads us all in worship in chapter 15, and I want you to look at verse 6 where she sings, Your right hand, O Lord, Glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries and send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hands, my hands shall destroy them. But, oh, Miriam has another word. She says, your right hand is stronger, God. God's protection is always better 
than any of God's creation. Any powerful person. No matter how large the army. No matter how intimidating. Yes, the desert path may be more dangerous, but the desert path is where you will find God's mighty hand. And if you don't see it in your lifetime, you will see it at the end of the ages when Jesus returns to right all injustices. His right hand wins, it prevails. And so walk on his path because that's where his hand is. You don't want to trust yourself to the small and to the impotent and to the, and to the, the failing and, and, and destroying uh, hands of, these, of, of Pharaoh. You want to put yourself under the mighty hand of God who defends his own. Let's stay near that hand. The desert path is defended by his protection. It's also defended by his presence, his presence. I want you to look a bit back at chapter 13, verse 21. It's just right before our our, our chapter 14 this morning. 21 says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the from before the people. What is going on here? This is almost like an Old Testament sacrament. It's like a tangible reminder that the place that they're walking, insane as it feels and sounds, is exactly where God is. You know, God is always in the Old Testament showing up through through cloud and through fire. And that's all God is doing here. He's saying, you are indeed in the right spot. You don't need to check your GPS navigator. You are exactly where I am. Isn't that where you want to be? Don't you today want to be next to the empowering presence of God? Isn't that where you want to shelter yourself in? Don't you want to be in the center of his empowering presence? Don't you want to be in the front edge of where he's at? We should be like surfers. I've heard it before, said before. We should be like surfers chasing waves. Where is God on the move? Where is the wave crashing? And we should just be swimming that direction as hard as we can to catch that wave. Well, too often, <laughs> too often, Those places are places we don't want to go. But how good is it to be defended by God's empowering presence in those spaces? The desert path is, yeah, it's difficult, but it is where God's empowering presence rests. And then the desert path is defended by God's promised son. Ultimately, the desert path is defended by God's promises, in particular, his promised son. Ever since Genesis, follow me here, this is important. Chapter 3, right after the fall into sin, God promised a seed, a son, an offspring, who would come and destroy the serpent who would come and stamp out the serpent with his heel. He would bleed in the process. He would bring defeat over Satan. And he would also bring defeat over the power of, and, and the penalty of sin as we are all enthralled by Satan. And this promise is a whisper in, in, in chapter 3, verse 15. But it just sort of like tumbleweed grows and grows and gets bigger and bigger and bigger from a whisper to a bigger whisper to a to a shout and here in the exodus we have a shout we get a strong preview of jesus this promise of a son first of all jesus understood himself 
as the fulfillment of this exodus. In Luke 9, verse 28, I want you to hear what Luke writes. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took up with them Peter and John and James. That's Jesus, Peter, John, and James. They went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of Jesus' face was altered before these three. And his clothing became dazzling white. Picture this. And behold, two men were talking with him. Moses, Moses, okay, Moses, who was at this exodus, and Elijah, the prophet, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. Okay, that word departure that Jesus is talking about is literally exodus. When we read in the transfiguration that Jesus was talking to Moses about his departure, I am, I'm frankly mad that our translators don't say exodus. Because that's what the Greek says. Jesus talks about his exodus with Moses. He understood as he faced Jerusalem that he was walking into his exodus. But in his exodus, unlike Israel... Jesus is faithful. He's faithful. Like Israel, he was called to a desert path. He was facing himself to Jerusalem, for goodness sake, toward Calvary, towards a cross, towards a state-sponsored torture device that he knew was in the path. And he set himself on that path, and he said it. But unlike us, and unlike Israel, he was resolute in his faithfulness to that call. He was. And why? Because we aren't. Because we aren't. When we experience hardship in the desert, we bail. We bail so quickly. But Jesus, this is why Matthew recounts for us the temptation of the desert in chapter 4. Where we fail in the desert, Jesus is faithful. Where we grumble, Jesus is resolute. See, the desert path is the best place to be because it is defended by Jesus, who walks not through the sea, but walks through a cross, who's not only the victor, but also the victim. The craves wash, like they've washed over him, him in our place. We, like the armies of Egypt, should be drowned. But Jesus gets drowned for us. And then there are three days of agonizing still water. But on Easter Sunday, Jesus rips open those waters and leads us who should be defeated and dead and lying in the water. He leads us through into the new heavens and to the new earth. Let's say we're back on that river again. The guide is taking us to that rock. Only this time it's really trouble. And, and this guide, she knows that the only way to save the boat is by jumping and taking the hit. That's what Jesus does. The true shepherd of Israel shepherds us by actually taking the hit in our place. See, the desert life is difficult, but it is defended. It's ultimately defended by Jesus. And so let me just ask you a simple question right now this morning. What path are you on? Are you following Jesus even as he leads his church into the desert in 2020? If you are, you too will walk through the waters of judgment unscathed. You are in the safest place you can be now and for eternity. If you are not, what are you waiting for? Now is the time to trust. Now is the time to trust. If you've been waiting Now is the time. Why are you waiting? 
Just get behind Jesus as he walks you through the judgment that our sins deserve. Unscathed. Walk with Jesus who is the ultimate right hand who will defeat his enemies and yours. So that you don't have to be enslaved to your sin. You don't have to be um, enslaved to a, to, a, to a story, a history that ends with injustice, but with final justice and a righting of all wrongs and a renewing of all that's broken. You can follow him. You can be a part of that parade. As Jesus walks us into the new heavens and new earth. And I, and, and hope, I believe that God is calling us to be a desert church uh, this year and this fall. And what does that mean? Well, I think number one, it means we must be resolute when everything around us is crashing down. But really, the only way that we can be resolute in our faith and in our following of Jesus in this horrible season is if we see the resolute faithfulness of God first. God is so committed to his people that he will undergo judgment to free us. And that's what Moses tells us to do. In, my, in this passage, I want you to notice something. In verse 13, Moses says to the people, fear not. And then he says, stand, see the salvation of the Lord. And then in verse 14, be silent as God fights for you. See, Being on the desert path means that it's not up to our resolute faithfulness, but honestly, it's God's faithfulness. And what we're called to do here is to stand, to see, and to cover our mouths in awe. Our resolute faith doesn't save us, doesn't rescue us. God's resolute faithfulness does. And that's going to be key for us in 2020. And that, friends, is how we answer what the Lord says in verse 15. Keep walking. How do you keep walking when you don't want to walk anymore? Stand, see, and hold your hand over your mouth in silence as you see the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. The exodus on your behalf. Each day, standing, seeing, and sitting in silence and witnessing, bearing witness to what God has done. See, salvation's not up to you. You receive it. And doing that on a daily basis is going to be key as we are called into the desert in this season. Let's turn away from our preferred paths and let's trust the desert path where God has us. And so, Lord, we do pray for that. We pray that you would, uh, that you would uh, be uh, powerful in your protection, that you would be powerful in your provision. But, Lord, ultimately, we look at your provided son, Jesus, the true Exodus who, who, who has us in his grip. It's his resolute faithfulness that will keep us resolute. And it's in his name we pray this. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.